This episode is sponsored by Martin Care. Welcome back to another episode of the Jewish News Podcast. For this episode, I'm with Sammy Steigman. Sammy's a Holocaust survivor, an educator, and a speaker. Sammy, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Um, good afternoon, and I'm very honored to be uh, on your podcast. Thank, thank you, Akiva, you, for inviting me. Thank you. The honor is uh, ours. So uh, we'll discuss, uh, if it's okay, uh, your, your experiences uh, with the war and what you do now and uh, your thoughts. But uh, what, what was it? Uh, can you please describe what your life was like before the Holocaust? What was your family like? Well, um, if you want uh, to talk about um, before I was born, because I was born on December 21, 1939, then I will have to tell the story of my uh, parents. Uh, I am not only a Holocaust survivor, but I am a child of Holocaust survivor. Uh, my father, his name was uh, Nathan. He was an orphan of both of his parents. Uh, my grandfather died before he was born, unable to take care of eight children. In those days, with very few exceptions, only the men provided for the family. My grandmother, unable to take care of eight children, decided to take the two youngest one and commit suicide. A stranger saved the children, but my grandmother did commit suicide, so my father grew up in an orphanage in uh, Vienna, Austria. Uh, My father, unlike my mother and I, uh, that were born in Chernovitz, Bukovina, my father was born in Romania proper in a city called Vatra Dorne. Uh, at age 13, my father was let go. Uh, he became streetwise and uh, that helped him to uh, provide for the family, uh, to go through the uh, Holocaust, those difficult days. And at the same time, after the war, when life was very difficult, there was not enough food to feed the population. My father knew who to trust and knew how to provide for the family. Uh, Every Holocaust survivor reacted different uh, to the trauma that they went through. Uh, My father uh, became a hardened person, very loving person, very good friend, but if you crossed him once, he would never forgive you. My mother, on the other hand, was uh, an uneducated woman. My grandfather had a store, did not allow her to go to school. Uh, She had to stay home, help provide for the family. She was also abused by her stepmother, but boy, did she have a heart of gold. And I teach the young people that whether you like it or not, you have the genes of both of your parents. I took my confidence from my father. I took my uh, sensitivity from my mother. Uh, vaguely, I uh, remember that uh, my father was in the military, in the cavalry. Uh, I don't think he was a foot soldier. He was uh, primarily because he was literate. I think he was in the administrative uh, uh, office. 
and uh, obviously uh, life was not easy. Uh, both my mother and my father worked in uh, Chernovitz. Uh, they worked in a uh, textile fabric and that's how they met. And they've been together for 65 years. Do you remember uh, what it was like when the Nazis started uh, getting control and if that affected your life at all? I have no memory of that period of time when my parents and I were deported by the Romanians, not by the Germans. Um, I was only a year and a half. So obviously uh, I have no memory of that period of time. Uh, at the same time, uh, until the Eichmann trial in Israel in 1961, the Holocaust survivors uh, did not speak uh, publicly and they certainly did not uh, speak to the children. They wanted the children to have a normal childhood. Only when I started to speak at age 68, uh, did I realize for the first time that my child was not what we call, quote unquote, uh, a normal childhood. And my father applied to go to Israel in 1949 and living in a communist country, okay, we got the visa only in 1961. And uh, what was your experience when you uh, came to Israel and uh, other places after the war? Uh, how did you uh, uh, start your life and uh, did you settle in? Well, obviously, I had to, to learn uh, the language. Um, I was sent to Unulpan. Uh, I'm a very private person, so there was, uh, you know, um, everybody knew about somebody else. So I, after two weeks, I left. And although I did not have to go to the military, uh, my first uh, memory being in Israel, besides kissing the ground, is uh, I remember seeing a, a uh, Jewish policeman and the sense of pride that I felt is uh, difficult to describe. And uh, I decided being so proud being in Israel, I decided to volunteer uh, in the IDF and uh, okay, I was recruited in the uh, Air Force. Interesting. and. Uh... After the war, were you able to learn about uh, what happened to the rest of your family or meet up with them? Well, I was, uh, interesting enough, uh, I was never separated uh, from my parents. And if you ask any survivor, how come you're alive today? Everybody will use only one word, luck. My luck was that I was never separated from my parents. Uh, I was subjected to medical experiments. I've been all my life, every second of my life, I was in uh, pain. Uh, later, if you want, I can tell you more about it. And uh, later on, when it came to the stage that I was dying of starvation, uh, my life was saved by a German woman. So I teach the young people not to stereotype. But a lot of people do not know how life was after the war, how difficult it was. Uh, in the house that we live, uh, we did not have a sink. We had to go to the well. We did not have a toilet. Uh, we had to go to outhouses. Uh, in uh, schools, there were no toilets, out, only outhouses. Uh, we had uh, no gym. 
so every uh, all the exercises were done in the courtyard in front of everybody. Uh, at the same time, uh, uh, the most uh, popular uh, game was uh, soccer. Uh, we did not have enough soccer balls, the school. So we used to make uh, soccer balls from rags. And uh, from my father's side, from 42 people, only two survived. Uh, obviously my father and my uncle, but my uncle was not a survivor. He was never in a camp. Uh, so my father was a refugee in Shanghai, China. Uh, China was uh, one of the only three countries that officially except the Jewish refugees, Dominican Republic, China, and Philippines. Even the United States did not officially open the doors to the Jews. And, uh, and, and, and my uncle, sorry, my uncle uh, sent us a package. And in the package, there was a real soccer ball and uh, a simple item made me the most popular kid in school. That's uh, it's amazing. And uh, how, how and when did you find out what had happened to you in the, the Holocaust? Well, I always knew that I'm a Holocaust survivor because my father talked about the fact that uh, from his family side, from 42 people only to survive. So I knew that I'm a Holocaust survivor. And uh, he mentioned they was in the camp. But I did not know what happened to me until I was 31 years old. Uh, uh, my parents came to visit me from Israel. I came to the United States in 1968 by myself. And uh, one day, uh, when they came out from a short walk outside, they found me on the floor, almost unable to move. I'm coming from a generation that is very stoic. So they never knew, my father never knew that I was in such excruciating pain. Uh, so in shock, uh, I inadvertently, I don't believe that he ever intended to tell me. He mentioned to me that uh, I was subjected to medical experiments. Uh, obviously, the doctors did not come to him and tell him this is what he did to son. He did not know what was done. I don't know. However, uh, although it did not help me with the pain, it gave me the courage to ask for compensation. And I had absolutely no proof whatsoever which means uh, I uh, strike one, I did not know what was done to me. Number two, I was homeless, which means I did not have uh, any documents, any proof. And number three, when I applied for compensation in, in February 8, 2002, everybody was gone, including my parents. So I just sent it for, my, for me to feel good about it not expecting an answer. To my surprise, two years later, January 26, 2004, not only did I get an answer, but I got paid a single payment of 2,500 German money. Okay, it came out over $5,000. Financially did not make a huge difference in my life. However, uh, okay, it was an acknowledgement uh, by the German government that I was subjected uh, to medical experiments. It was not done based on what I wrote, but I just want the people to understand that the Holocaust 
is the biggest crime in human history, the most recorded crime in human history. They destroyed a lot of the records. But uh, interestingly enough, in 2013, I read two articles. One was in uh, Daily Mail in London and one was in New York Times that the Nazis and their collaborators had 42,500 different type of camps. Uh, in the meantime, they found additional camps and today the number has risen to 44,000. We will never know the full extent of what really happened during those days. Uh, a lot of the records are open right now, but we do not have enough people to do the research. But when I got paid, it was not based on what I wrote because I had no proof whatsoever. It was based on their records. And uh, I want to clarify that. When did you begin to speak about the Holocaust and uh, why did you decide to speak? Well, for 63 years, I felt that I don't belong to the Holocaust survivors because I have no, no memory of that period of time. My parents did not talk about it. Uh, I also felt I don't belong to the children of the Holocaust survivors because most of them were born in DP camps, displaced people. A life there was not easy. They had to be in those camps under difficult conditions for three to five years. They had no place to go. However, the death of threat, the, I mean, the threat of death did not exist. Uh, so Bashir meant to be, uh, two things have happened that changed my life. Uh, the Holocaust Museum in Washington DC closed its doors to the general public for two days. It opened it up to the Holocaust survivors, their children, their liberators for 16 years in a row. I never went. For whatever reason, again, Bashir, November 1st and November 2nd of 2003, I decided to go. Uh, there were over 8,000 people. And at the table where I was sitting, I met a man born in the same city, been in the same camp, the same years, 1941-1944. He was taken when he was eight months old. I was taken when he was a year and a half. That was the first time that I felt that I belonged to both generations. And uh, that prompted me to stop ignoring being a Holocaust survivor and do something about it. In 2007, I joined the second largest Holocaust museum in the country, uh, the Museum of Jewish Heritage, a living memorial to the Holocaust here in New York, where I live. And uh, in 2008, I got my first assignment to speak to sixth graders. A lot of your listeners uh, have uh, most likely spoken publicly. If they will look back, they will understand what I'm saying, that your first presentation is not the best. It's not the most complete. I did not have a story. I did not know that I can tell a story and I had no idea what impact I will have on such young people. Again, Bashir, they sent me thank you letters, each one better than the other. But one sixth grader changed my life forever. And she wrote, P.S., your story was overwhelming and I promise I'll pass your story to my children. Because of her, seeing the impact that I have on such young people, I've decided to dedicate the rest of my life to reach as many young people as I can nationally and internationally.
I'm uh, curious, you mentioned a few times that you do public speaking. Uh, what exactly do you do today, uh, including public speaking? And uh, do, you, do you do it on your own? Are you part of an organization? Well, uh, I do it on my own. Uh, unfortunately for me, uh, okay, uh, I don't promote myself. Uh, but uh, hopefully that uh, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, uh, I have to be invited. Uh, many times it's uh, word of mouth and uh, I don't travel anymore just for the sake of traveling, but I will go anywhere in the world, okay, if they can uh, uh, arrange for me to have speaking engagement. So, for instance, uh, uh, they are working right now to bring me to Northern, uh, Northern Kentucky. In uh, August, I will be in Germany, invited by a a German student. Um, in uh, November, for a full month, I will go to Mexico. So, um, you know, so they are arranging for me to go to different schools, universities. I start with uh, fourth graders. And uh, uh, I can tell you something else. Uh, all of us have suffered and still suffer from the uh, COVID. Uh, Living in Manhattan for practical purposes for a year and a half, I was in house arrest. The only time that I went out was uh, every three months I went uh, to visit my doctor. Uh, and uh, I went to the grocery store once or twice uh, a week. The rest of it, I was in the house. But because of my positive outlook on life, I was not mentally affected by it. And uh, I teach the young people that there is a virus that is much more dangerous than COVID-19. And that is the virus of bullying, bigotry, anti-Semitism, hatred, uh, racism, and ideology. It's a virus that cannot be eradicated. It was there, like anti-Semitism 4,000 years ago, it will always be there, that virus. The only way that we can combat it is by educating yourself. And that is my mission in life, to educate the next generation. And uh, if you are not educated on the subject that you're interested, whether it's a Holocaust, whether it's uh, Israel, whether it's the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, whether what's happening right now in Ukraine, if you are not educated, you know, don't know the history, you will not be able to uh, change somebody's perspective. Uh, the other thing that I tell the young people is, uh, I'll give an example. If somebody would come to me and tell me that Israel is an apartheid state, uh, automatically we go in a defensive or an attack mode. My answer would be, you know something, I agree with you. Can you imagine the surprise in the other person's uh, face, reaction, when I, as an Israeli, will say that uh, I agree that Israel is an apartheid state? But then what I go, it gives me time not to be on the defensive or offensive mode, but it gives me the time to ask him questions. Since you brought it up, where did you learn about it? What is apartheid? 
How do you know about it? Where did you read about it? Who told you about it? And by his answers, I will find out if that person has an open mind. And if he has an open mind, I will continue the conversation. If I've realized that he is set in his way and he has a closed mind, I will very politely, I will tell him, let's agree that we disagree and I would end the conversation. But that gives me the opportunity not to uh, be in a confrontational mode. Uh, I call it dialogue. And uh, in my particular case, it's coming uh, natural. Uh, a lot of the young people have to learn how to have a dialogue and not be confrontational. When you uh, speak to, uh, to, to, to this generation, uh, what, what are the, the key points you, you focus on? And also, you, you mentioned the physical pain you have. Do you ever have a, a mental uh, uh, remembering of what was described to you or, or of your knowledge of what happened? And, and is that something that you, you've been able to overcome to some extent and move on? Or is it something that still uh, weighs you down uh, constantly or time to time? Well, uh, uh... There are several things that uh, I have done in my life. And number one, I take negatives and I turn into something positive. Uh, at the same time, uh, there is nothing that they can do about the past. And the past belongs what the word says. It belongs in the past. So uh, I always move forward. And I'll give you uh, a couple of examples to understand what I mean by that. Uh, when I ask the people, what do you know about the difference between uh, a pessimist and an optimist? Most of them will use uh, glass half full, glass half, half empty. On the other hand, I say, say it differently. And I say, a pessimist sees in every opportunity a problem. An optimist sees in every problem an opportunity. And let me give you an example. Um, when I was in the shelter, uh, I'm one of the one third of the Holocaust survivors that live under the poverty line. Uh, so when I was in the shelter, it was the first time that I was a broken man and I did not want to live. I actually even tried to commit suicide. Uh, interestingly uh, enough, okay, uh, in the shelter, I was a very heavy smoker. I would say at least two and a half packs a day. And I decided to test my will uh, to live. And I said to myself, when I will quit smoking cold turkey, suddenly I will recover. I did not say I will try. I will try is not a commitment. I said I will. December 13. 1996, I had my last cigarette, and that was the first step in my road to recovery. So uh, it is very important for people uh, to always move forward. Another thing that I uh, teach the young people is that all of us have failed and will fail. Uh, I don't know of any successful person 
that has not failed. All of them have failed. And uh, in my opinion, if you fail, you're not a failure. In my opinion, in my book, you will be a failure only if you don't try. And out of the curiosity, I wanted to know who was rejected the most times before became successful. And I Googled it and I found out that uh, uh, an author of children's book was, uh, I don't know her last name, but her first name is Kate and something. Uh, she was rejected 473 uh, times. And guess what? She persevered and today she's a multimillionaire. So, uh, okay, never give up. The other thing that I uh, teach the young uh, uh, people is uh, whether they know it or not, they have a very, very strong voice, a powerful voice. A lot of them uh, do not know that. He says, well, I'm a single person, I'm young, what can I do? And I'll give you an example. Uh, a student from Germany, uh, for her uh, high school project, uh, decided uh, to have a presentation and to interview a survivor. It so happened that it was me uh, because she was concerned about the spike of anti-Semitism in Germany. Uh, and the last minute, she was given only half an hour. Obviously, she was stressed. But take a look what she accomplished in a half an hour. First of all, in the half an hour presentation, the students, her classmates, asked her to give the full presentation that she planned to do, including the full interview of one hour with me. The teacher invited her to give the full presentation, okay, to the teacher's conference. That gave her the idea to invite me to come to Germany to speak at her school. As a matter of fact, two weeks ago, I received an email from her that uh, finally, it took a long time, they agreed. On her own, she decided to arrange for me to speak at the uh, Holocaust Museum there and to go to several schools and campuses. Additionally, uh, I mentioned to her that I uh, uh, live under the poverty line. So she said, why don't you go to GoFundMe? Uh, I'm sure that uh, the, uh, your audience knows about this app. Yeah. And I said, I don't promote myself and I will never do it. So on her own, she decided, okay, to raise, and so far she raised 963 euros uh, to be sure that she will invite me and I will be able to come to uh, Germany. Uh, at the same time, she arranged, okay, for me to find a hole so I will not have to be in a hotel. They will not have to spend money. And the icing on the cake. Because of her half hour presentation, the teacher said that from now on, he will take his class every single year to Auschwitz. And I want the young people to understand the power that they have to make a change in this world. Wow. Uh, obviously, they have to believe in themselves and they have to find the mission. And boy, okay, 
uh, if they can get inspired from my story, from this one, knowing that they have a very strong voice, boy, will this world become a better one and a kinder one and a more peaceful one. That's a great, uh, great story. And um, I know we uh, only began to scratch the surface with uh, everything that happened to you and, and that you do now. But um, as, as time winds down, every uh, episode of the podcast, we end with the same question, which is, I know that you've spoken in many places and been asked many questions and in interviews for different places and in person. But uh, even though you, uh, you've been asked so many questions in your life, a lot of times there's questions that people are never asked that they wish they were. So looking back at all the questions you were asked, what's a question you were never asked that you wished you were asked and what answer would you give? Uh, believe it or not, I asked, uh, I've been asked most of the questions, but uh, here is an interesting uh, thing. Uh, I tell people that they can ask me questions on any subject that they want. I don't represent anybody, just my personal opinion. I teach them about tolerance. They don't have to agree with me. The only thing that I'm asking is to respect what I have to say, just as I will respect their opinion that is diametrically opposed to mine. Uh, but I'll give you an example. I believe a fourth grader, maybe a fifth grader, asked me to summarize 72 years of life. Obviously that was 10 years ago. Uh, in two sentences. You should have seen the expression and the other teachers, uh, uh, you know, faces and uh, the other students. Uh, I gave an answer, but believe it or not, it's one of the best requests that I ever had. Although I gave a fairly good answer, when I came home, I said, you know something, there must be a better way for me to answer something like that. In something that I never thought before, I never done, I said, what are the three most important moments in my life? And uh, right now, depending uh, how much time I have, depending uh, the circumstances, I use it quite often. And here are the three ones. Number one, I knew the joy of parenting. Uh, it's the greatest high that you can have. It, nobody can teach you about it. It's something that you must experience. Number two, I knew hate, but not from the head. Uh, hate is learned and it can be unlearned, but I knew it from the heart. Sammy Steigman, as a human being, did not exist. I know what hate can do to a human being, and I am very proud that I was able, okay, to uh, get rid of that deep hatred from the heart. And number three, being homeless. Believing, believe you or not, when you overcome obstacles, you become a stronger person and you will find that you have certain skills that until you are actually tested, you don't even know that you have them. And I found out something that I never knew, that I have a voice, that I can tell a story, that I can have an impact on young people. And most importantly, I found something that a lot of people 
are searching for the entire life. And that is I found my mission in life. All of us, okay, have a role to play. Whether we will fulfill it or not, that's up to the, each individual. But I have found what my mission in life is. And, um, uh, and that is uh, happened because I became homeless. I had to do a lot of uh, research. I had to find out who Sammy Steigman is. And uh, that's something I uh, try to impart to the young people. Wow, that's uh, a lot worth considering. Um, before we end, is there anything else you want to mention? Uh, the only thing that I mentioned is, uh, you know, I want to thank you for inviting me to the podcast. I'm very honored. I'm very proud of you, of what you have uh, accomplished. And uh, for, I wish you to go from strength to strength. And uh, I'm going to say it again. Uh, I know a number of people that uh, have lost faith on uh, the young generation. Uh, a lot of them are going in the, the wrong direction, but uh, I've always been an optimist. I will always be an optimist, and I believe that the young people will make the change to make it a better world. So kudos to you and uh, to the young people that will okay, become our future leaders and make the necessary changes thank you uh, hopefully we make the change and uh, the honor was all all mine to have you a uh, very big uh, pleasure thank you for taking time to join and uh yeah hopefully uh, you can continue to inspire and empower with uh, your speeches and presentations and uh, uh thank you again for joining Thank you for listening to this past episode of the Jews Schmooze podcast. To get our latest updates and contact us, you can follow us on Twitter at Jews underscore schmooze. If you want to sponsor an upcoming episode, you can reach out to JewsSchmoozMarketing at gmail.com. And if you give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on, that will be tremendously appreciated. Thank you so much, and hope you're looking forward to the next episode also.